This is a podcast from Minute Media. You all right, Will? Yeah, ready. All right, do your thing. All right, what's up, up, Panther fans? Welcome to another podcast with a four-man rush. Today we got myself, Will. We got Kev again. And again, special guest, uh, Mike Wall, joining us. Um, How are you doing today, uh, Mike? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us again. That's before we get started. I mean, we just had some shocking news with the retirement of all-time great Quarterback uh, Tom Brady retired after 22 years in the season, 15 Pro Bowls, <laughs> thrown for 85,000 yards, seven championships. Uh, Mike, what's your thoughts on this Tom Brady retirement? You shocked by it, and what do you think of his just career looking back? Well, yeah, I'm a little bit shocked that it, the the answer came so early. Like it came this at this point uh, in the off season, or I guess the postseason. As you look back at his career, man, he's he's the best fill in the blank of this generation. You know, I, I, he's up there with God from, for me for 44 years old, growing up when I grew up and and playing the sports that I played it, it's Michael Jordan and Tom Brady. And it's a, it's a pretty crowded room after that, you know, and and he's just done everything in such a professional manner. He has been the epitome of professionalism, the way that he prepares, like you could write books about his, his confidence in preparation, the way that his mental makeup, the way that his drive, his drive to be the best in the world, the way that he's able to do the monotony of going through his his process over and over just to maintain that status as the, as the GOAT, as the best player in the world, and to do it consistently for such a long time, man. Like, you don't even make up, like, the, his stats, his his length of dominance. Like, you don't even make that stuff up in football. He's just on the next level, and it's been it's just been awesome to be – involved in a sport where you got guys that are that outstanding at something like I, I as a as a fan I just love I love watching people that are just that good at anything like it just I just love it man so hats off to him congratulations Tom yeah man I mean Kevin I know we had our uh, we lost to the Patriots in the 2003 Super Bowl so I think the Patriots and Tom Brady have kind of always left the sour taste in the mouth of Panther fans I think we always respected him as a player I mean, what are your thoughts on Brady's retirement? <laughs> yeah, real quick for me, I mean, you know, as far as quarterbacks, um, he's the GOAT, undisputed. Um, and you're talking about someone that was a huge Joe Montana fan uh, growing up, um, you know, with him and Bill Walsh, you know, the West Coast offense. I mean, you know, I hadn't seen nothing like it, but, you know, long come to six-round pick out of Michigan who came in with a chip on his shoulder. Wasn't the most athletic, but uh, his work ethic and his determination was just uh, levels above everybody else. Um, started out hating him, but he won so much. He won my respect, literally, by keep winning. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to respect the winner. So uh, much respect to Tom Brady. 
you know, I, I'm sure his, his family would be happy to have him back home. Uh, you know, anybody that's, you know, got kids and a wife, you know, <laughs> when the wife say come home, it's time to come home. So uh, overall, just, um, you know, he should have to wait five years. His first year eligibility, he should be able to walk into the she's hall. She's walking in right now. She's just, going, going to camp yeah, right like, now. Like, like yeah, leave Zion well, yeah. Tampa and just go get his gold jacket <laughs> fitted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Foregone conclusion for sure. Yeah. He'll probably have his own wing. You know, they talk about levels to Canton, right? Like there's rooms in Canton. And he's right. probably, he might have his own room now, you know, the way the way with the success he's had. Right. Hey, I got a funny, I got a funny one for you guys. So talking about that 2003 Super Bowl, right? And then uh, so I was there in 2005 was my first season in, in Carolina. And I think that's when it came out that they had been like popping the Jets tapes, you know, or, and, and stealing signals. And I was funny because like, as far as I, I, I was in Green Bay when I was growing up, everybody stole signals. That's how we, I mean, everybody gets down that way. Like you go figure out with the other team, like who's calling in the signals, you've learned them. And then we know what's going on in the game. Like that's how the game was played. That was the operation. But like John Fox and I'll never forget John Fox and, and Jake DeLone were walking down the hallway, man. They were dog cussing the Patriots. I knew it. I knew they were in our book. And I was like, I was like, yeah, of course they did. Like who? I'm gonna I'm gonna read your mail if I can. I'm gonna do if if I can if I can get tips off the sideline to what is gonna be happening on the next play. You're damn sure I'm gonna expend some resources going to get that. Like that was never cheating for the like a lot of like half the league was like that's not cheating. That's just that's best business practice. Like we gotta figure we gotta figure this one out a little bit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then the, I mean the thing with the deflate gate thing. I just thought that was an NFL flexing its muscles like deflated balls would have made a difference in the game. I don't even think the score was close uh, regardless, but overall, I mean, I think those things are just a, won't affect his legacy at all. You're just looking back at him. I mean, coming from a six-round pick, uh, Mike Howard, why was he able to do that? A lot of day three and undrafted free agents aren't able to, to have such a career like that. <laughs> Well, it shows you that the talent evaluation isn't perfected yet, certainly, right? And right. and for a quarterback, for a lot of positions on, on a field, for most positions in sports, 90% of the game occurs above the shoulders. And he had – I mean, if you just sit and think about all the stories you've heard about the process that Tom Brady goes through physically, mentally, from a rep standpoint, all the – like the hours and hours of practice off the field. The fact that he plays catch in his backyard with his with his family with pads on because he doesn't want to waste emotion. I mean, you just when you start thinking about all the things that the man puts into being the best, it's almost you'd be surprised if he wasn't. And it's it's always crazy. He's such a good representation of we are so much we are we are capable of so much more then maybe we give ourselves credit for it. Like physically, if you see, I mean, everyone's seen the draft photos and him running, like shouldn't even be in the league. You know, if you just look at it strictly from that standpoint, but he's not only is in the league, he's arguably, he, he took over that Jerry Rice greatest of all time mantle, man. It's just unbelievable. Right. The seven championships. I mean, you haven't seen that kind of dominance in, in other sports. You think Michael Jordan and basketball, but that kind of dominance, I mean, just have to appreciate it while we had it because, I mean, it'd be hard for anyone to follow that act um, in football. So Tom Brady's retirement, he's done in the league. So, hey, I mean, NFC South looks to be wide open. With I mean, Sean Payton we saw retired in New Orleans, Tom Brady out in Tampa Bay. So we'll see what happens with the rest of the NFC South.
let's move on to talk about these uh, playoff matchups we got coming up tomorrow, uh, NFC Championship and AFC Championship game. The NFC uh, Championship tomorrow, we got the LA Rams and San Francisco 49ers. Uh, supposedly a rivalry, but I mean, the 49ers have won the last six meetings with the Rams and have pretty much dominated this series. Um, what do you think San Francisco has done so well to give Los Angeles these kind of problems, Mike? I think San Francisco just controls the line of scrimmage, and when it comes when it comes down to it, I think that especially in the playoffs, but even during these regular season games, you know, the, when when I think about the Rams' offense up until really the first game of the playoffs, I didn't think of their offensive line in particular as being something you can count on, right? They're not the kind of team Sean McVay's not the kind of coach who wants to just do these five and seven set drops. They want to get the quick passes, they want to get the outside zone game, they want to get the quick screens, and when you force them into, to get into a situation where they're more one dimensional. Um, I think that the defense, you know, if you go good versus good, the defensive line of the Niners is, is better than the offensive line of the Rams. And and as good as Aaron Donald is on the other side of the ball, you know, it, and Von Miller is kind of a new addition there, and he's really just kind of come on late. I don't look at the other side of the ball for guys not named uh, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and, like, strike fear into my heart. So I would imagine when you're a San Francisco 49ers guy and you're game planning those guys two times a year – with the outside zone game you have, some of the weapons you have on the offensive line, with you know, with understanding that you know, Debo Samuel is just a, a complete game changer now, and, and the different weapons that they have in the backfield, you know, I, you, it's not hard to, it's not a stretch in my imagination to understand that the San Francisco team can feel confident, even with all the kind of talk that's worn about with Jimmy Garoppolo not being the most dominant quarterback in the playoffs right now, they can still go out there and that you know, it's like trench warfare, man. What we love to talk about, right? That. Trench Warfare wins the day when the games matter here in the playoffs. Yeah, if you look at these Trench matchups, I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, you're going to have San Francisco's O-line. you got Trent Williams going up against Vaughn Miller. And these are some you know, high-power matchups. What do you think about that one, Ken? <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, this this the matchup to live for now. I, I heard there were some questions about whether the availability of Trent Williams. Um, he had some practice all week. So that was kind of concerning because that right there could tilt the game. Now, I'll be hard-pressed to think, and Mike, you can attest, if I'm a game away from the Super Bowl, I'm going out there with duct tape and, and glue on if I have to to, to play with that game. It reminds me when Thomas Davis, you know, got his arm fixed to play in Super Bowl 50 for us. You're not to break it in, in, in the championship game. He, hey, put a plate in it, let's go. So uh, I'll be shocked if Trent Williams doesn't play. Uh, if he does, I, I definitely think that gives the 49ers an advantage. Um, as great as uh, the, they talk about the Rams' defensive line, I have seen yet to see anybody really give Trent Williams any problems all year. Um, you know, yeah. we said what we want about PFF, but they say he is the highest-rated player in the last six years at, like, what, 96% according to them. So, um, you know, when he demanded that 20-something million a year, I laughed. Like, who want to pay a left tackle 20-something? But he's definitely proved his worth. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I I just definitely think that um that the uh, matchup in the trenches is gonna it's gonna set the tone. Um, can you stay physical for sixty minutes? That's the key. It, it starts out being physical. Can you be physical for the whole uh you know whole time of the game? Because you know, Mike, I know you 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 definitely know about it. You know that third fourth quarter, you see guys hands on their hips. Hey, it's time to hey, let's keep hitting them. Yeah, this is going to be that kind of I – mean, 
you know, when you get to the playoffs, you, you hopefully you don't, you don't see that as much, right? Cause these are all good teams with good players and experience, but you know, to your point, like Leonard Floyd doesn't have a lot of stats over the last couple of games they played with the Niners. Cause he's got to play against Trent Williams. I would be, you know, if, if I'm the Rams, I'm attacking the right side of their offensive line. I'm definitely taking a shot at Compton with Von Miller all day, right? That's more of his natural spot at left defensive end anyways. You know, it's almost like why waste your good, your best, or your second best pass rusher on their best player? You know, that's not, like, that's one of those deals where you go strength versus strength. No, like I don't, my, their best is better than mine. So I probably put Vaughn over, over on the, the other side as much as I can. And then, you know, let Leonard Floyd just kind of go, yeah, it's gonna be one of those days you might not feel like you might not get a lot of action, man. But you know, Aaron Donald is the best in the world at, at beating the single block and beating the double team. And certainly there he's gonna have something to say about this game. And he's gonna have to. I mean, if if the if the Rams have a chance of winning this game, he's gonna have to turn in like a, another one of a long list of dominant performances, right? Because he's gonna have to be able to get in the backfield and make those those guys cut a little bit earlier in their want, certainly in the run game, but then you know, I don't think he's got a sack against Garoppolo in the last couple games, in the last 50 maybe pass sets or you know, pass plays that they've had. And you just think, like, it's due. And certainly the pressures that he creates, you know, those pressures equal picks, especially with a guy like Garoppolo. So, like, you can see a path to winning, right? But, it, like, for me, it really does go through kind of the box players and, and, and for both sides of the ball in this game. Right. Yeah. I, Mike, I'd love to see, you know, like they did against Tampa, put um... – Aaron Donald, that five technique, and him and Williams go one on one. That's oh. that's box office right there. That's that's what I'm gonna be looking. I ain't even worried about the receivers and running. I'm trying to say, okay, where's Aaron Donald lining up on the Trent Williams side? Because that uh, you just talking about beating one on one. Now that you know that's that's the matchup right there for me. If that happens, I think from a fan's perspective, yeah, right, absolutely. But if you look at it from like. If I find because it's like one of those deals where everyone's asking, like, where's Aaron Rodgers going to go? And like, well, why would he go to the AFC when there's always good players? And some like some guys will go, well, because he, he wants the challenge. And it's like, no, that's that's just being stupid. Like you want to what you want to do is you want to get the best chance to have success. Right. So so if it's me, I, you know, and I understand, like, as a fan, I want to see it, too. But I'm thinking I'd line him up and fight technique against that Compton game because we know that he's going to get beat. And we also know that when Garoppolo sees the rush, like there's different kinds of quarterbacks, right? Some quarterbacks can step, they see the rush and they'd rather see it coming and they'll step up. There's other kinds of quarterbacks that see the rush and it kind of freezes their footwork a little bit, right? So there used to be this idea that your right defensive end would be the guy getting all the plays because they're coming from the blind side. But if you look at the last, look at the last two sack leaders, Michael Strahan and TJ Watt, where do they line up predominantly? They line up over the right tackle where you can get beat right in the face because there's nowhere to go. Right. You know what I mean? So it's just like it's an interesting kind of dynamic. But I, box office wise, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, because I noticed when Tristan Wirfs wasn't playing last week, so that's probably one of the reasons why they said, you know, let's put Donald on this side and oh, attack yeah. this backup tackle. And we saw Aaron Donald was feasting on those guys all game. Tristan Wirfs was a big loss for the Bucks uh, that game. You think about that game, and then you think about Bakhtiari missing really the last two playoff games for the Packers, and and, yeah. and you know for my money that's the reason why you know if you want to point to one thing why they lost the two games it's probably the the, the fallout from him not playing. But it's it's kind of awesome, man. If you, if you're an offensive line trench guy, you gotta love you don't love them not playing, but you love the impact that the Lions having in these in these playoff games, right? It kind of reinforces that that idea. Right. 
I mean, look at the 49ers offensive line. I mean, Alex Mack, I mean, he's getting up there in age, but I mean, he's still a pretty playing pretty well at that center position. I mean, Tomlinson, I think they did a pretty good job adding depth across that offensive line with Trent Williams. So, you know, even if he's not lined up against you know, Trent directly, I mean, they still got some guys in there that can hold their own as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important for the Rams that they're getting um... – Andre Whitworth back, who missed the last yeah. game since oh, the wild card yeah. game. That's that's gonna be you know you. I think he's what like thirty nine or whatnot. Old. Yeah, he's um he he's up there because I, I I can remember fans saying, hey, you know, let's get Whitworth, and I was like, nah, he's thirty six, he's passed, and you know, I can yeah. I can I can eat crow on that one. He's he's put up you can argue about Pro Bowl All Pro caliber years for the Rams uh, at that position. So I guess for him, you know, some guys' age ain't nothing but a number. But uh, I think he's, a, mass- be- he's oh, a massive human. Like, remember when he was with the Bengals? I mean, he's just a massive. He- it's like some some of those guys. As long as your joints don't break, like crumble into dust or something, like you can play for a long time, dude. Because <laughs> like you watch his pass sets, they're not really that good. Like technically, you probably like you you could critique them, you know, pretty highly. And some guys still you know, they beat him because of it. But when you're that big and you have that much savvy and game and like sporting intelligence, football intelligence, like. It's just awesome. I don't know. It's it's crazy me to even think that a 39-year-old can play left tackle in a championship game in football. Like, that don't even make any damn sense. Like you can tell me that a quarterback can do it, and I can kind of justify that, but left tackle, that's that's nuts. Yeah, I mean, when we look at San Francisco's on defensive line, I mean they got their own studs as well with uh, Nick Bosa, uh Eric Armstead. Um I mean, Mike, what do you see from uh Nick Bosa when you watch him that makes him so difficult to block? So Nick's got great leverage, and it's probably demonstrated really well, unfortunately, by last week when uh, the Green Bay Packers decided to put Billy Turner at left tackle and Dennis Kelly, who's like 6'7", 6'8", tall guy, used to play for the Titans. They put him at right tackle against Bosa. And he's just a he's a straight leverage player. He's explosive. He's, he's, you could say he he's almost looks like cartoonish strong, like, the, like the, his dimensions. But he's not particularly tall and long. And so his leverage, he's kind of like Donald in the sense that He's going to get hip under your hip. He's going to be able to press kind of up at that angle, get you off your spot, be able to turn your shoulders really well. He's got a relentless motor. He's, you know, he's, he's a true athlete at that position. He's a guy that could probably drop 20 and play linebacker pretty easily. You know, he's just one of those guys. Um, and a great compliment to Armstead, I think, because, you know, he's kind of the opposite as far as he's very long, tall, has long strides, is really good at kind of extending people. They play well off each other. Yeah, I mean, it's just a very talented front seven. We got Fred Warner, arguably the best linebacker in football uh, right now. I think the defense just functions as as they go. Um, they give uh, wreak havoc up front. Now, when you look at the um, 49ers skill positions, I mean, let's start with uh, George Kittle. I mean, probably the most complete tight end in the league, um, blocking, catching, makes big plays down the stretch. What do you like from George Kittle that you see? For me, he's the best guy in the league right now, uh, hands down. And I think there's there's so much that he can do in the run game, especially in that outside zone. And when he kind of he gets moving, he likes to finish blocks. He has that kind of he's an Iowa guy. He's got that mentality. For some reason, Iowa can just put out offensive, defensive linemen, and tight ends. Man, they just they just have the right formula there, right? They find three two stars and three stars and just pump out. They turn them into five star guys. And and the thing that I love about Kittle is. It just doesn't seem like he's like he's like Gronk the mentality wise. Like he he doesn't set any restrictions on himself. He makes plays in, in the passing game that you don't think he should be able to make. And I know certainly last week he came up big when we we decided to single him up in the slot. And he just he just put uh, Stokes, our rookie, 
from Georgia, who's had a great year, just put him in a blender. They put Campbell in a blender the next play, you know, for some for some big kind of we need these play drives uh, towards the end of the game. He's just I, I just love the way that a player can kind of change and define the the character, the attitude that the entire team brings to the table. And I kind of feel like George Kittle, like if you were to point to one guy that is like the tone setter for their team, I I, I might argue that it's him. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can see it kind of rub off on everyone else. I mean, you got Debo Samuel, very productive season. I think he had 14 touchdowns over 1,400 all-purpose yards. Doesn't really have a defined position. They line him up in the backfield, give him handoffs running between the tackles. He can run reverses, screens, and he can play full-time wide receiver as well to have that kind of weapon and versatility, I think, adds another dimension to that offense. I mean, you see anything that stands out to you about the 49ers offense, Kev? Yeah, I, you know, for me, the 49ers offense, even though it has all that versatility at its core, it has that 80s and 90s mentality. Like, I'm just going to line up and I'm just going to beat on you until you bleed to death. You know, that's the, that's the style they play. Like, even with their skill positions, like, you've heard people say how when, you know, Debo Samuel runs the ball, this it's just not a, a quote, wide receiver run the ball. Like, he is really – uh, physically abusive. Like, I've even seen a truck stick a couple of guys, you know, run the ball. So, for me, hey, I'm, you know, that for me, that's the snot and bubbles type of game that I like, you know, because at the end of the day, it's, it's still physics. You know, we're going to line up, and we're just literally going to just beat your ass until we win the game, you know, and that's, and that's just a style of play. But, uh, you know, with Shanahan, you know, coming from his dad and found out uh, listening earlier – this morning, good morning football. I didn't know that his dad still kind of helps with some of the game planning. I'm like, okay, hey, psh, hey, you know, get all the resources that you can, you know, learn, you know, learn from one of the best. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely see them changing things up to a degree. But when you want six times in a row until they show a reason why they can stop what you're doing, uh, just keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the most controversial topics of the week from sports talk, it seems to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he a truck or a trailer? You know, is the he's not, is he really, he has a good winning percentage. I mean, you can't take that away from him. But I guess the question is, how much credit does he deserve for these wins? And I can look at it both ways. I mean, he does make his fair share of mistakes. He's not productive statistically. But what about the intangibles, like his leadership, you know, getting guys set up, getting in the right play, making uh, clutch throws down the stretch on these game-winning drives. Do you think the criticism of Jimmy G is fair or unfair, Mike? Well, I think from a talent standpoint, it's probably fair. Like production, you know, is what it is. Right. On the other hand, what you got to appreciate about the San Francisco 49ers is they're not pulling any punches and acting like he's something that he's not. And their game plan and the way that they call the game and, and, and seeing how things are playing out – they're not going to ask him to be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or any of these guys, Dak Prescott even. They're not going to ask him to be that kind of player. And so, you know, to, to Kevin's point, it's like we're going to run the ball six times in a row. Nobody else is doing that right now except for Baltimore. But we're going to do it. And we're doing it because we know that if we put the ball in this guy's hands too many times, something bad's going to happen, right? Like he'll give away the ball. He had a couple throws. We should have had three picks last week. We only had one, and one of them, at least one of them, should have been to the house. One of the ones that we didn't pick up on. So you just start looking at it like they know what they have, and the mentality of the the thing that's so awesome about like a, a team like this 
is once you know that you don't have that quarterback that can mask all the problems, like you have Aaron Rodgers, you can mask a lot of problems. You can mask for a while that you're the last, you're the worst team, especially teams in the league, right? You can't mask that when you don't have a, a franchise quarterback. And so every single other piece of the puzzle, you're going to make sure it's working as well as possible. And then because of that, because of the attention to detail, because of the level of importance that each individual feels like they, like I'm carrying a bigger load because we don't have that guy right. from a culture standpoint. I think that's a pretty healthy way to play ball, man. That's why like a lot of us, a lot of us old heads like watching defensive football a lot, even though it's not as exciting, but it's because everyone's towing their weight, man. And we love that about the game. Yeah, that's one thing I loved about uh, John Fox's Panthers. They were built strong on defense, always strong in the trenches on the offensive line. Then Jake DeLome, I mean, he wasn't the elite um, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, but he just had attitude. He brought energy, great leader. You kind of tell us about what um, Jake was able to do to um, elevate that team and how guys stepped up around and take that to that team actually made the NFC Championship. Yeah, that's and that's kind of the point, right? Like, Jake's not a world beater, but – when you understand what you are and you're comfortable with what you are and it's been defined, even if like, I mean, I, I've told you guys before, like it was hard striving for average on that offense. Right. Cause I, I was used to trying to, I want to score 30 points a game. I thought we were, you know, I, I, that's, that's what I thought we were supposed to be doing. But once you have an idea of like, okay, we're going to play defense, we're going to be super physical and offensive line, line, uh, line and tight ends, like fullback, wide receivers, you are all going to block in the running game and you're going to do it all the time. And we're going to be the kind of team that tries to finish because that's going to be an identity of our offense. And then, you know, we have a guy like Steve that can bust out a couple screen passes or hitch passes for to go yard, go house. But once you have that mentality, you can get, a, you can get a long ways in this league and you can make runs and deep into the playoffs, just having a guy. And I don't want to call Jake like a game manager, but to a certain extent, like, you know, we weren't ever going to be, you know, he was never going to be Peyton Manning. But that was for that team, for what John Fox wanted with his team, like that was perfect. That's exactly what they needed. Right. Hey, Mike, and since we're talking about court, real quick, because I, I know um, on social media, a lot of the fans is where we have like some of our deepest divide here. When yeah. it comes to the stats of wins and losses, it seems like when it's when, your team win is the quarterback, you know, cause of the quarterback. When, when it's, but if it's a quarterback that's not like, oh, it's everybody else's fault. Like, how do you view wins and losses as related to quarterback? Because obviously that's what gets them in the, you know, they're looked at for, you know, Hall of Fame. Oh, he had this many wins. But, like, when a quarterback has only 100 yards, but they win, is that really a yeah. win for the quarterback? You know, what's your stance on that? Yeah, and it kind of goes like what we're talking about a little bit, right? If you know what you have as a quarterback, like the San Francisco knows Jimmy Garoppolo. If, they, if they're asking Jimmy Garoppolo for 350 a game, they're going to lose a lot of games. Like they know that already. And if if you're going to if you're going to game plan to win on defense, win on special teams, win in the running game, and have him do enough to get you know move the sticks every once like they look for explosive plays in the running game. It's not in the passing game, and so. It's a win, like you know, the whole idea that the whole idea, like the whole idea that a quarterback is responsible for the win and loss is kind of ridiculous, anyways, when you say it out loud. But let's just let's just assume that there's four or five guys in the National Football League. Well, one less now because Tom just retired, that can literally win any game you go into by themselves. Just all you need is 10 more guys on offense, they can score a ton of points. Like everybody else in the league, every other quarterback in the league, it's a, it has to be more of a team game. 
And so you're, you'll see, again, like with guys like Jimmy G, maybe in some different offense with some different weapons, maybe he's a different guy if, if there's different expectations put on him. But given what they're being asked to do, it is, it's just a, it's a good team win. And, and anybody who's out there, you know, trying to give them too much credit for the wins, too much, you know, too much responsibility for the losses. It's by, this whole thing's by design. Kyle Shanahan is making uh, millions of dollars a year, making these decisions and based on the evidence that's right in front of him that he sees every single day. And I think sometimes as fans, we kind of forget, like, we don't see these guys in meetings. We don't see them in practice every day. We don't know what kind of balls they're throwing every day. Like he's probably got a pretty good idea what he's capable of. Right. Now, on the other side of the ball, you have a little bit of a different situation with Matthew Stafford, who was you know the longtime Detroit Lions quarterback. Kind of went under the radar because he was on such bad teams, but always stood out to me as probably a top ten caliber quarterback. You think he has a lot to prove coming into this week, Mike? Yeah, I I think that it will continually get to be a bigger and bigger deal for him. I found out yesterday that he's only like thirty three years old, though. So he actually, he's yeah. like as long as just he feel like he's been around. Based on what Aaron and, and Tom, have, how long they how long they've been playing, it's like he's got he's got some time here in a good offense now. He's got some weapons, young weapons around him, and Cooper Cup and um, OBJ, and, and obviously they're gonna have to revamp some of their offensive line guys. But young running backs, I, I would just say about Matthew Stafford, he's definitely a top ten talent. Um, he's got that arm strength, and I think what happens in the in the from from an external pressure kind of that's laid upon you from the media, from fans, and everything. I think every time you ascend in the playoffs, the pressure is going to get like parabolically more intense, right? You've made it. Okay, Greg, we, we got that first monkey off our back by winning that first playoff game. You're here. We're here. Now we're in the NFC championship and there's a ton of pressure because getting to the Super Bowl defines, maybe defines his career. Winning the Super Bowl definitely defines his career, but getting to the Super Bowl, even with a guy like this is a kind of a career defining moment. So I just think it's, I think it gets more and more intense uh, the higher up you get, and and that's a good thing. Right? I mean, that's that's why we watch the sport, right? We we want it to be that way. And, and but the players the players definitely feel that. You know, they definitely they feel the responsibility and, and the weight on their shoulders. But that's something they look forward to. We get we get uh, anxious and excited about it, not nervous. Right. Yeah, I love how when um, Tom Brady, it was they were down twenty-seven to three, the Buck stage that comeback, and we thought, oh no, we've seen this before, we know it's coming. But Matthew Stafford just threw that. Um, I guess he found a mismatch with Cooper Cup against uh, Winfield, the safety, was able to drive the Rams down and protect that win in advance. So should be an interesting matchup. I mean, you got Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson, Higby, great weapons on the perimeter to help. Uh, Stafford as well. We got a good running game. Akers getting healthy. So should be an interesting matchup, no doubt. So let's switch gears and talk about this uh, AFC game, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, Kansas City coming off one of the greatest football games I've ever seen, especially with that yeah. duel between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Do you think they can have a repeat of that this week with this matchup where you see this one being more one-sided? <laughs> Me personally, I see it being more one-sided, but I, I called like every every game wrong last week, so I'm, I'm the wrong guy to ask. That was an amazing game they played last weekend. I just don't see, you know, it's funny if 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 you just said at the beginning of the season, take all the teams that give up more than 50 sacks, and and tell me what their status is at the end of the year, you'd probably nail it on the head, except for one team, right? Like Bears fire their coach, Panthers fire their coordinator, their line coach, everybody, right? Right. Uh, Jets rebuilding process. And then you got the, these guys are going to the AFC championship. 
And it's just – it speaks like – like Joe Burrow is not a cheat code because we think like Lamar Jackson's like a cheat code. Right. Joe Burrow is like rewriting history right now because you should never win a game getting hit 13 times and knocked down nine. Like I don't care if the other team is terrible on offense. Like you should – you just shouldn't be able to win a game. You shouldn't be in the AFC Championship if you give up 50 sacks, if you get hit that many times. And it's just nuts to me. Like, you think about the narrative that this guy has been able to change in Cincinnati. You put anybody else at quarterback and knock them down that many times, they're going to burn down the building. Everybody's fired. This right. guy's in the AFC Championship, and he's he, he looks like the second coming of, of Tom Brady. Like, he's just unbelievable how good he is. He's got – he's such a – He's just such a confidence and aura around him that as much as you think this is a Kansas City no-brainer, Joe Burrow just had – these kids got something about him, man, that I'm like, I, I think I think he could really do some damage here. Like, this would be a close game. Yeah, one thing I like about Burrow, I think the team had a, a motto, why not us? He said, no, we're going to eliminate that. We're not underdogs. I don't want us going to the game with that underdog mentality. So he just comes out every week expecting to win and that's just not something you've seen in Cincinnati which has been a historically a losing franchise I think after I mean I think they went to like two Super Bowls in the 80s but after that just a long stretch of a lot of losing seasons I think this was actually their first playoff win since like 1991 um anything stand out about this matchup to you Kevin yeah man uh, I, I, I want to see what the kind of adjustments the uh Cincinnati offensive line has made because I'm sure that film session was fun to watch, <laughs> and I'm saying that very sarcastically, Mike. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure the, um, the O line coach, after a, a bad blocking game, definitely with some choice words probably used, as you can attest. I know I, I did when I played, um, but I, I'm curious to see what they do because, like I say, that's that's a asterisk game. You can't continue to like you said, take all those hits and expect your quarterback to be what was like 28 for 37, 300 some yards sacked nine times. Like I've seen the greats Brady and Rogers and breeze get folded and lose under the game. I mean, no turnovers. I mean, that's one of those, you know, he has somebody praying over him type games before because he definitely was for, that's definitely rare. So I'm curious to see how Cincinnati uh, blocking scheme. Do they do a little bit more match protect? Um, you come in. Um, how do, are they going to use the bats more to chip and help? Um, I know they say Burr likes to hold on to the ball too long, but he does. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm just curious to see how the uh, offense line of the Bengals respond to the Chiefs because um, yeah, they they bring in some pressure on the other side. Uh, the Chiefs, uh, Chiefs are because with their defensive tackle, um, uh, Chris Jones and um. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a grown man. I know Frank Clark hasn't really came on strong, but he's still um, he's still a threat uh, to capable of blowing out. So I'm just curious to see how the Bengals offense line handles the um, Chiefs front seven. I'll tell you what, man, if, if you don't mind, mind me saying, I don't think they make this is the this is the only offense I've ever seen in my life. Well, I don't think they're making any. I don't think they make adjustments. I, and, and I know it sounds ridiculous. But this is the same, like, because, you know, Zach was in, in Miami with Ryan Tannehill. And, like, I've seen this. Like, we've seen this before with quarterbacks, whether he holds the ball, whether the guy's getting, in, you know, in the way. 
And I don't, I think they're just calling plays. I mean, I've, and I, I know that sounds silly, you know, I'm oversimplifying it. I'm sure they're trying to make, I mean, I'm sure they're trying to play better, but I think they're just calling this offense. And it's like, I know he blew out his knee last year and you, you know, he's gotten hit all these times, but you just keep watching it and it just keeps happening over and over. And you go, it almost seems like they've just made this calculated bet where they're, they're like, all right, we'll throw it 40. He'll get hit 10. But the other 30 throws are going to be pretty damn special. And so we'll just take we'll take what we can get. We'll see what we can get with 30 plays, 30 snaps in the air instead of 40. Like it 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 almost feels like when I watch them play, because I feel the same way you do for like I felt that way for like eight games. And then I was like, man, they're not making any changes. They're just they're gonna go ahead and just keep doing their thing. If he holds the ball, then he'll just take hits. Like they're not trying to coach it out of him or anything. I, it's crazy to me. Right. Now we did see, I mean, Josh Allen had a lot of success uh, against the Chiefs secondary. I mean what was it Gabriel Davis over 200 yards receiving four touchdowns? So, I mean, do you see advantages maybe Cincinnati has with their perimeter weapons against the Chiefs secondary, or is it a situation where Burroughs is not going to have enough time to get those guys involved the way he wants to? <laughs> it's, is, it's, is it fair to say, like, does everybody agree that, 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 that Burroughs is going to have to put up at least 34 points to win this yeah. game? Like, yeah. They're not winning with 14, 17 points, right? Like, I mean, we could all be wrong, but that's what I would guess. And I'll be honest with you, you watched that game last week in the way that and, – and Josh Allen's like a very unique talent. He's got a dimension to his game that, that Burrow doesn't. But Burrow's got some serious, serious weapons across the board in the backfield, the tight end position, receiver position. They have multiple guys. Jamar Chase is like next-level talented, right? T. Higgins is great. They have just guys. And so – yeah, do, you, do I think that they're going to be able to press the, the Chiefs secondary, especially if Honey Badger is – he's probably coming back from the concussion, but, like, you never know how that is. Yeah, I'd feel pretty good if I was – if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm probably walking here thinking, like, I could probably drop 30-something in here. Like, how defense, can you hold him to 30? Because I'm pretty sure I could score 31. Like, strange things have happened. Right. And you look on the other side of the ball, I mean, the Chiefs offense, I mean, they're just always one of the more explosive – Units in the league. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, one of the best games I've ever seen last week. He's like a shortstop playing quarterback, throwing curveballs and sliders. I mean, the throw and throw, I think he had a defender in his face. He was able to sidearm it around him and still be able to complete the pass. As a defense going against the Chiefs, when you know a guy like Mahomes can extend plays, make throws when you think you've done everything right, how do you contain a guy like that? You know, if it, we were talking about this yesterday. I was on with a bunch of coaches, and, and, and you know, the thought process is, first of all, do you want to just try to flush him to your left or his left all the time? Like, do you want to overload the, the – you know, you have a rush plan, right? And when we talk about rush plans from a, from a defensive line standpoint, a lot of times we're just talking about, okay, we're going to stay in our lane. But the more sophisticated rush plans are like, we're going to build a wall on one side and attack the other and force him to flush a specific way, like – some guys don't don't roll, don't throw as well when they're when they're on their left. Or we always want to we always want to make him roll away from where the bunch look is, for example, just things like that. But yeah, when you're when a guy can stay, I mean, the, the scary thing about Mahomes is not only he talented, but it's like you saw in that play to Kelsey when they're sitting in the huddle, going like, "All right, we're going to split out. If they play outside leverage, play sideline on me. I'm just going to bring my split down, and we're going to take we're going to take complete advantage of this." And then Mahomes is literally like, "Yeah, do it, do it, do it." And they drop, you know, they drop the twenty-yard game to win you know, for the for the ensuing field goal. It's like not only does he have the the the, the skill and the throwing ability, but he has the intelligence. And then he has like two Hall of Fame caliber weapons out there, along with the rest of the guys on their team. So 
Right. Yeah, it's a tall order to try to stop that team for sure. Yeah, when we talked about what makes uh, George Kittle so unique, what do you think makes Travis Kelsey just so difficult to match up with for opposing defenses? <laughs> so I put him in different categories. Like, like George Kittle's a tight end, right? Rob Gankowski is a tight end. And then Travis Kelsey is like a really tall receiver, a really big receiver, <laughs> right? But, you know, having said that, like defenses still match up the way they match up. And when Travis Kelsey, he has a – he's super athletic – He's very, very disciplined in his route running. He's got great hands, and he's really good with the ball. Like, he's not necessarily that, you know, George Kittle, I'm going to run right through you, but he is really good after the catch. And, you know, it's, again, I think when you have really special players that just have that it factor, they tend to – they're like magnets, right? And they all just kind of – they mesh together, and they just have this feel for one another, and they and, and they know where the quarterback's thinking and – like we saw, I saw this with Antonio Freeman and, and and Brett and Donald Driver and Brett a little bit back in the day. Like they just start under, they finish each other's sentences, right? They could finish each other's sentences on the field. And Kelsey certainly seems that way with with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Kevin, anything stand out to you about this uh, matchup? <sighs> uh, man, with this matchup, um, <laughs> this is almost like just like Madden coming to life, you know, for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like virtual Madden. I mean, uh, like, real quickly, like, I just want to say, I, I can just go back and just watch the last two minutes of that Bills-Chiefs game, and that's good enough for me. You know, if you right. ever got a son that want to play quarterback, son, watch these two minutes. This is quarterback and one-on-one. This is how the great ones do it. Um, and then another thing, Mike, you know, as a player, like, 13 seconds and to go from the 25-yard line to field goal range, like, like you, that's like what less than a one percent chance usually, <laughs> you know. I mean, just to think that you know, I mean, that's right. the luxury of having your timeouts, game management, something that yeah. you know is foreign here in Carolina. Uh, but that's another subject for another day. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to the opportunity of. I know the easy answer is to say the Chiefs is going to win, but this 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 belief that Burrow got, like I wouldn't be shocked if they pulled it off even though the odds not against them. And I like that that type of mind frame. Um, it, it, it may very literally come down to, once again, who has the ball last. And and that's what I like. Um, because the uh, even even with the Honey Badger in there, uh, the Chiefs defense has been – it ain't been nothing to really, you know, make offenses, you know, be worried about either. So I'm, as much as, um, you know, Mahomes licking his chops, you know, Burrow can do the same. Matter of fact, they beat him, you know, and was that week 17, week 18 at Cincinnati? Yeah, hung up like 400 something yards, put up um, like 34 something points. So, um, hey, I'm just looking for a good, good old fashioned shootout as far as the trenches go. Um, you know, from off offensive line from Kansas City, I, I would like to see them try to establish the run a little bit more. I think they're more talented than what they allowed to see. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher last week. You know, I like to think that with the guys they got better, like Clyde Edwards Hilaire and um, you know, the Robinson, um, Jared McKinnon. Yeah. That got to play number one. Yep, um, McKinnon. Yeah. You know, you might want to try a little clock ball, you know, to, to you know, have, you know, Burrow sit down for a little bit. You know, I know with Andy Reid running the ball might be foreign with him. You know, they used to say that about him in Philadelphia, but, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I just think we're going to see a classic. Um, I, I just wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati does the unthinkable. Hey, who, for your money, who's better, Justin Simmons or uh, Chris Jones? 
Because Justin Simmons beat the brakes off those guys in the inside last week. And I think right. Chris Jones is Jeffrey, talking about Jeffrey Simmons? Yeah, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Simmons. The Simmons yeah. Yeah. For my money, for as far as consistently doing it, give me Jeffrey Simmons. Okay. Because Jones, I'm be have scared, a I'm more scared of oh, go ahead. Please. Oh, no, I was saying because for me, Simmons does that consistently. Uh, Jones, he'll have a stretch where he'll do it, and then he'll kind of fade away, and then he'll explode right back on. If I'm looking for that consistent yeah. threat week after week, um, give me Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably fair. I feel for this one game, like if I have one game and I got to win it, I'm going to call Chris Jones up. Um, just because when I watch both of them, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind playing against Jeffrey Simmons. I would mind playing against Chris Jones. Like I think he could get he's a guy who could get multiple sacks on you. Simmons is uh he's had a great year and I think he's a really good player. But dynamically, like he doesn't threaten he doesn't threaten your edges. He doesn't threaten your technique. He's just a really big strong guy who who's you know kind of through effort through a couple of different games falling into some plays this week this year. Um, but Chris Jones is that guy. Like I think he can just flat out beat dudes one on one, and that's like in these kind of games. Like that that always makes me really nervous if I'm an offensive lineman. Like in you know in Kansas City, can't hear a damn thing because they're talking about the crowd noise. Joe Burrow's like, ah, yeah, it's no big deal. I was like, yeah, it's no big deal for you. Come ask us. It's a big deal for us. Right. Yeah. Speaking of noise, Mike, can you speak on because his fans? I always want to know how y'all did it at the um, in uh, at the pro level because obviously in high school it wasn't that big of a deal like can you kind of explain what the whole thing about with the silent count yeah. um especially as an opponent in a loud state can you kind of explain like what's the process for that yeah so with, well first of all you have to a lot of times when you're in practice the week before you'll, they'll just start pumping in crowd noise because you want to be able to operate in that environment without like the first time you get in there because it's so loud that we could be literally face to face you can't hear me and it's almost like you got to talk in the huddle. You got to talk under the crowd noise. Like if you try to yell, it'll just get drowned out. And so what they do is when you get on the line of scrimmage, they'll say it's on a, it's either on like a fast one or a, or, or a slow one. And you'll kind of know going in. So it'll be, you know, green, right, 18 blast, slow one. And the slow one is the, the, the center has like a pattern where he'll put his head down, put it back up and you count one second and then everybody's got to go. So as soon as you see his head come up, it's like one 1,000 and you get Okay. Now, if it's a fast one, as soon as he starts moving his head again, he goes like this. As soon as he pops up, you're just gone. So as soon as he sees up, you go. And so it's it really turns into a timing thing. And the hard part is when you do it fast, you think about from a tackle's perspective, you got to like – because I want to look at my guy. The last thing you want to do is from an offensive line standpoint is look in, see the snap, and then go and find your guy because, you know, head goes, body follow, head leads, body follows – so when I do this, my whole my shoulders turn faster. Like I open up quicker. I'm slower. Like all this bad stuff happens. So it's almost like you'll see a lot of tackles trying to get like this little bit, where they're trying to look over here, but they're really trying to look inside on the ball. And it's dude, it's really really hard, man. Like we used to do in Minnesota. It was it's it's really hard. Yes, yeah, so I forgot where I read it, but someone said Arrowhead Stadium is one of the most loudest places to play. Um, but I know in the 2005 Panthers, another thing I loved about John Fox's team, they always went on the road and won playoff games. Can you talk about the mentality you guys had going into Chicago, pulling that upset, and then going into Seattle one game away from the Super Bowl as a road underdog team? Yeah, so we went – I think the first game we played, we were up in New York. We beat the Giants. Right. And I think Steve had like three touchdowns that game, and it had, two of them happened pretty early. 
And so we kind of knew we were going to win that game. We knew we were the better team, even though they had the home field. But the, the Chicago Bears, they had Tommy Harris at the time. They had a really good defense. I think it was, it was the same group that ended up leading the league in takeaways a couple of years later. And um, they had beat the brakes off us early in the year at Soldier Field. And we just kind of knew that if we could establish our running game, that we were going to have a really good chance to win that game because we didn't think much of their offense. I think our defense didn't think much of their offense. And it really just came down to can we can, can we establish the run? Can we get some things going? And I think that game, Deshaun Foster had around 200 yards of, of offense on the ground before he broke his leg. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, you know, many of that. And because when you when you have that team, you know if you're going to run the ball. And then it just turns into like, well, if we run it enough, eventually they'll make a mistake and forget about Steve. Right. And when you forget about Steve, it's like, I mean, he's the best <laughs> – it, it, you got a real, real problem, right? So they they made the mistake of forgetting about Steve a couple times, and what and what 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 players understand that sometimes what you don't get to feel at, on TV is that when a guy like Steve Smith gets going, it's not just that he's got going; it's that I feel a lot better about myself now. And you on defense, you are all just how did you let that happen? I mean, everybody's upset, and now he's talking to everybody. It's it's a the 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 knock on effect of, of a guy like that getting moving a little bit has a huge impact on the entire team. When you go into like Seattle, though, man, we we thought we had a chance in Seattle. We knew we'd have to play pretty well. I don't think I don't think the moment was too big for us, but I do think when Nick because Deshaun broke his leg, Stephen Davis was already out, and when uh. When Nick Goins got knocked out by Lofa in the first quarter, I think it was like the first or second series, it was really – at that point, man, it was like we got literally no, – we're a running team. We don't have a running back. Like we were right. – you got problems, right? You got right. yeah. real problems. <laughs> okay, so we'll close with some fan questions before we uh, sign out for the day. Um, it was very early in the process. I guess Xavier yeah. Tufty asked, Mike, who would you say is the most pro-ready offensive tackle among Equano – Evan Neal or Charles Cross, and are there any sleeper tackles that are available in this year's draft class? You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't spend a lot of time on um, on on draft on draft guys until they get in the league. Um, I've, I've seen Charles Cross play, and I just think from I like his demeanor, and I think mechanically, physically, he he looks like he can move the right way. He bends the right way. Mechanically, I like the way he moves. I like his technique. Um, and the and the amount of clips that I've seen with him just trying to finish guys through the ground, like I just like that demeanor. It's it's kind of like last year we saw Penny Sewell was like physically beating everybody, but he wasn't like really a good technician. And then we saw um, who's the old boy out from a Slater. Slater. Slater was like a really he kind of had both right. He had the physical, but he was also a technician. I see I see Cross kind of being that guy. I'm not saying the other guys aren't. I've just watched more tape on Cross. Okay. Let's see. The Niners are a scary team because they aren't supposed to be here. The Chiefs and the Rams have way more expectations. As a player, does that impact the mindset going into a football game? Or is that more just kind of, you know, storylines for or headlines at the top when you'd say? Yeah, I think, I think people say that up until the kickoff, right? Like, oh, right. we're not even supposed to be here. The pressure's on them. Like, that's kind of, you know, they do that a lot in fights too, right? Um, but when, well, what's it like? You're there, man. Like, you might only get one chance to go to a championship game in your life. Right. So once you're there, it's this is the expectations. You're going there to win. You're only, you only, you might only get you might not get another one of these. So 
I think all that leading up, it, it, part of the reason we like sports is because of the media and, and uh, we can talk about it and all this stuff. Like That's a great part about sports is the anticipation and the buildup. And that happens for players too. But once the game, once they blow that whistle, man, it's business and everybody is out there expecting to win. Right. Okay, so that wraps it up for the fan questions for uh, today. Uh, Mike, you just want to let our fans know what you've been up to, uh, this process to perform uh, website you have going on and any other ventures you want to? Yeah, man, listen, yeah. We, listen, I've been, we've had a lot of success working with uh, pros down to preteens with our total athlete development platform. You can check that out on process2perform.com. It's really about helping athletes kind of reach their ceiling and, and build the tool set to become elite. That's really three things for me, mindset development, technical mastery, and ownership decisions. We're now kind of moving in. This is last week was our first series with high school football coaches, kind of working on uh, developing culture and, and developing perpetual supremacy within your program. So that's a four-week uh, it's a four session period that we're going to go through and that we're going to probably be running those off and on for the next, uh, probably the entire off season. So if, if anybody's interested in that, either hit me up, DM me on, on Twitter, Michael 68 or hit us up at prostitute Okay, great. Yeah. Vince, uh, coach Vince Holmes, he was supposed to be on our podcast today, but I don't think he had something come up. So I'll definitely let him know about that. So before yeah, we he had, um, yeah, he oh, had signal issues. Oh, my, I just want to some – I missed this on the first time because my um, internet power's out. I saw you, you're looking to try to do something like uh, over in Europe, like developing um, like players uh, over there. Can you speak a little bit more about um, of your plans about that part? Yeah, sure. So it goes along with – I mean, the, the thought process is this, guys. Like, I'm, I'm really into helping athletes. Like I, I got to play the thing I, – I got to do the thing I dreamed about doing. If I can help other people to kind of achieve their goals through that – through these kind of developing the tool set to be successful, then I, I want to help out as much as I can. Um, I, I believe a, a, there's a lot of really talented athletes that, that just don't have a fair shake of it because they just don't have the tool set to be successful. Right. And it's just because right. th these aren't things that are necessarily intuitive to everybody. Um, they certainly weren't intuitive to me. It took a long time to kind of figure it out. So I want to help them along their path. Um, a lot of that is now like you have to, because of the structures in the place, especially with, with football is that, we need to start looking at how do we, as coaches, as an organization, how do we do a better job of developing talent? How do we, how do we invest on in our athletes to make them the best versions of themselves so they can perform for our team and get us to where we want to go as well? Um, so we're going to be working with, uh, we're going to be working in Germany. Actually, there's a master, there's a, a convention going on February 18th in, uh, that's it's online that you can join up with, and through 27, 24 seven football in Germany, we're also be doing a master class over there in march and april that'll also be online if anybody wants to check that out and again it's really all about how to develop organizational culture how to do you know your way of doing business how to develop your athletes how to develop your coaching staff and ultimately how to strive for perpetual supremacy which is giving you the best opportunity to be successful over the long term all right and mike we only got about six six, six minutes left i'm sorry and not we know you got another game just one last question um i know you're still heavily involved with the uh Packers, so we just kind of and we know you got the podcast with the mon green so yeah. we just ask we're just curious because we hear the media overkill it P packers are currently like over 44 million dollars over the cap uh right. it came out that Devontae adams wants about 30 million a year like like can you Bro, tell us like inside 30 million like, a year man can you believe it? <laughs> 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 and he's worth it but damn hey can you oh. kind of share with us fan because we always speculate like players like the y'all Discuss, hey man, the cap tight. Should we take less to keep no. this together, or is everybody like, man, get your money, do what you do? Like, what's the inside when when it comes to get your players money. talking about salary cap? Yeah, it's it's get your money because here's the deal, right? <laughs> Jerry Jones has some. Jerry Jones pays everybody. 
his secretaries get paid a lot. His coaches get paid a lot. Actually, you know, I'll take that back. I don't think I, I think maybe I don't know if McCarthy is one of the top five paid uh, coaches, but you know, they historically have been able to find ways to manipulate money, manipulate cap, and everybody does. Like the cap is this. There's capologists, right? We have these guys as salary cap experts in the league, and they are very, very good at extending the duration of your contract or giving you front-loaded bonuses, but finding ways to sneak under that cap room and make everything happen that you really want to happen. They just find ways to do it. And I don't know if it's a little bit of magic or whatever, but they find ways to do it. So when when you say there's like 44 million over the cap, you know, they got this far to go and Devante wants this. You start going like my math. I just go like, Oh shoot. 74 million. Seems like a lot of, if that's not really what they're looking at, right. They're going to make those. Obviously guys are going to have to move. They're going to have to mix around contracts. But when you look at the Packers, it starts and stops with is Aaron Rodgers going to be back. If the answer is yes, then you go, okay, we have a three-year window. We're going to pay him whatever he wants. Right. He wants Devontae Adams back. We're going to pay him whatever he wants. And then everything else, we're just going to have to make work. If that means everyone's going to have to do a seven-year deal and we'll just start giving them signing bonuses at the beginning of every year so they can prorate the contract, like they can make it work. It'll be ugly. You always have to pay the piper. But as long as you have a quarterback who is a top-tier guy, you're going to – you have to find a way to make it work as long as he's in the league. Great answer, because as fans, we always speculate, because we see New Orleans is like 70 million. You know, they're like, that's why Sean Payton left. You know? <laughs> you know, that's a good point, because Sean Payton, and I'm not saying that's why he left, but if you look at that, that's different. He's got an aging defense, and that's the strength of the team. He's got a, an offensive line that has some high-priced players. I think I think the left tackle is Armstead's leaving, or he yep. could leave, right? He's a free agent. And they don't have a quarterback, and they have a guy like Michael Thomas, which, you know, Michael Thomas has put up a lot of good numbers. Um, we don't know what he looks like now. We don't know what he looks like post breeze. We don't know what he looks like post injury. So that's like I wouldn't feel great about that salary cap. Whereas I kind of know exactly what I have with with Green Bay, and you can kind of go like, all right, well, we have Preston Smith, we have Rashawn Gary, and we have Z Smith. Do we have to get rid of one of them? Can we make that work? Because we have two of them that are really good, and one of them didn't play all year, but we could probably swap the other one out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just start figuring this stuff out. Like, we can make this work. You close your eyes, you can make it work. Okay, well. It's not like baseball, so you can't with the no salary cap. So <laughs> who has the most doesn't matter. Well, once again, Mike, thank you for joining us today. Um, again, you can find Mike on processtoperform.com. Check out his website. Great content there. Um, thank you, everybody, again, for listening. Um, you can hear this. If you missed the podcast today, you can catch it on iTunes, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Other than that, keep pounding. Enjoy the weekend. And enjoy the games tomorrow. And we just want to thank you, Mike, for, you know, gracious with your presence and your knowledge once again, man. Um, definitely uh, enjoying it. Um, hopefully we can do it again uh, when we see who's going to be heading to L.A. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's fun. It's fun talking to you guys. You guys are uh, – it, it, it's refreshing uh, to talk. So, you know, sometimes you talk to these guys and, and they, you don't know what they're looking at. And you guys have a, a very good grasp on football, right? Did you, did you guys uh, – 
you guys watched like the whole thing that happened in uh, like with Mina Kimes this weekend and, and you're kind of going after and then yeah. Jeff Garcia, you know, it's, it's always, it's always kind of an interesting thing because obviously, first of all, Mina Kimes is like my top three sports media personality, oh, yeah. not male, female, my top three. She's, she's just my top three. She's her Lewis Riddick and probably Troy Aikman. I just, I love consistently love listening to those people talk football. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's really, you know, what Jeff Jeff Garcia in a very, very poor way and did it in a terrible way was I think what he was trying to say was it's frustrating. Um, it's frustrating when you've sat in the chair and you know the pressures, right? And and what he does, he just does such a poor job of like acknowledge that the game doesn't work unless all parties are involved. Like if players just want to go out and play, then and there's no media, male, female, anything, you you lose money because you don't have a fan base, and you're not willing to curate your own content, right? And that's kind of why social media has been such a big deal because you curate your own content, right? And he just made such a colossal like. I hope he retracts it because he just it's it's like it goes sexist and it's just it just looks really 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 bad. The frustration, I think, on the uh, from a player's perspective, sometimes is like, have you taken time to watch tape before you come at me with how bad I am, right? A little bit like Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like we talked about today. You can go watch film on him, and I can get an expert to tell you that he actually played pretty well in the last game. And you go, well, wait a second, he threw a pick. He could have had two more and all this stuff like it's just an interesting dynamic, right? Like the, this, this is one of those things. It's not like, um, like if Goldman Sachs has a, has a bad quarter, the, the press on Goldman Sachs usually is coming from Goldman Sachs, right? It's not, it's not like, it's like somebody's, you know, and then like the journal writes the reports on them and stuff. It's just, it's a, it's a weird dynamic. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you. Well, we just want to thank all of our fans here. Thank you, and um, we'll catch you guys later. Um, and um, what a rush. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.